today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 7, and Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Isaiah chapter 42. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's get into today's message. It's the last message of the year, and it's an Advent message. It's about, it's about who is Jesus and what did he come for? Now, if you grew up in the church, you knew he came to be our Savior. He came to redeem us. He came to so that our sins could be forgiven, and then we could be taken up to be with him forever and ever. All that is true. And yet, that's kind of a truncated message. There's more in the Bible about the purpose and the mission of the Messiah. And um, oftentimes, I don't know why this is the case, but there's a kind of split and it's been going on in America for not like, I'm not just talking about 20 years or 50 years. It's, it, there's a kind of split in America for at least 100 years where somehow people who tend to lean more to the political left, they love the idea that God came to do justice, right? And then people who lean more to the political right, they tend to lean toward the idea that America is for freedom, Okay. So I don't know why these two themes split. And then sometimes the Christians, you know, because Christians are on both sides. And I'm not talking about, so don't think Republican or Democrat, because if you go back 30 years, the political left and right isn't exactly political, you know, even Republican or Democrat the way we know today. Right? And you go back 80 years, and, and, that, and that's, it's, it's all different too. But that's a, it's a, it's a re recurring theme, and I don't exactly quite understand why that is a recurring theme. And early this year in 2021 and then late in 2020, we expended a great deal of energy 
and I gave a bunch of sermons that were actually, a lot of them were very, very difficult. They were difficult to work on. They were very difficult to deliver. Some of you may have found them even difficult to hear because justice is not an easy theme in the Bible because if you look around the world, everywhere you go in the world, the history of mankind is basically a history of injustice. It's basically the way it is. Everywhere you go around the world, pretty much the very completely normal thing is that people who have money, people who have power, that now we have this word today, privilege. <laughs> I don't know why all of a sudden that word privilege became a bad word, but it kind of is. Is that people who have privilege, people who have advantages in society, what they tend to do is the whole society is geared so that, you know, that people can be invited into these advantages. And in the best, most just society, those who are at the weakest and at the bottom and of the most hurting, those people always have a pathway out of poverty, out of hurts, out of the world being wrecked so that the, those who are weak can receive the greatest benefits. And people who are secular don't understand that the greatest benefit is ultimately to be loved by God. That's really the greatest benefit of all, right? But those people who do know that to be loved by God, it doesn't, it cannot possibly be that you go to church, a building, and then you do this religion, and then, well, Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so, and I'm going to go to the good place, while all those who are hurting, we ignore. That cannot be possibly the message of the gospel cannot possibly be, right? And we are here now, it, it happened yesterday, we are at one of the most central places in the, in the calendar where we talk about the very meaning of Christianity. At the core of the meaning of Christianity is that the Almighty God became a human being for what purpose? <laughs> and I want to let you know that it cannot possibly be that Christmas can be divorced from this idea of justice. There's no way. Absolutely, it cannot be the case. Okay? So, let's just, um, that was kind of a bit of a mouthful to start. That's just an intro. And let's see if I can do the rest of this efficiently, okay? Part one. Part one. The Messiah bringing forth justice. The Messiah bringing forth justice. Part two. The emptiness of riches without worthy purpose. So I want to really challenge what it means to be an American. America is the richest society that's ever been. And it's offered riches to more people than any country that's ever been. So I, I just want to say a little something about this. There are lots of people today who are dumping on America. I am not with them. Okay? If you look at all of the history of the world, there has never been a society that has offered more possibility for advancement to the poorest people of all nations than this country. This is the country, right? But we're not doing very well right now. We're not doing very well. And that is one way to talk about justice. That is to offer the fullness of humanity for more people than anyone, including the most poorest and broken, okay? And I want to Say a little something about that in this part two. The emptiness of riches without worthy purpose. In a nutshell, 
That's where we are in America right now. Okay? Riches without purpose. And part three, the double glory of justice moving in the church. Okay, there's a double glory, at least, at least two. The double glory of justice moving in the church. Let's start with the prophecy, Isaiah chapter 42. And I don't know how well you know this uh, passage. It's an unbelievable passage. And um, I had heard this passage before many, many years ago. And I remembered Tim Keller just quoting it. And it wasn't even the part he was, he was preaching from. But when he said it, it caught my ear and I'd never forgotten it. And it's this part, right? Chapter uh, 42, verse 1, starting from the middle. And this is what God's saying he will do on the Messiah, okay? So this is the second half of verse 1. I will put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. I will put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice, bring forth justice to the nations. So this isn't the part yet that, that Tim, where Tim Keller caught my, but I just want to just say this before we get there. What is the Messiah supposed to do? Messiah cannot only go forth and give us forgiveness of sins. The Messiah is coming to do nothing less than to bring forth justice to all the nations. It's right there. That's, that's when, when God said, this is what I'm going to do to the Messiah, it's, it's always been really interesting to me because we're talking about something that the Father has bestowed upon His Son. So he knows the Messiah is going to be his son. His son is not yet the Messiah. He's only the divine, eternal son of God. So he turns to his right-hand side. His son says, that's you. <laughs> you know what you're going to do? Justice for all the nations. And he knows that in order to do that, he's going to go down. <laughs> he's not going to just go down like if heaven is above us and the earth is below us. He's going to go down in total... In, in the, in, in the, in the biggest movement of status you could possibly imagine. You know, in America, we always want to go from lower to higher status, especially immigrants. You know, this church is filled with a lot of Asian immigrants. And Asians, Asian immigrants are some of the most intense immigrants in America because America is a country where you can make it. But wherever I'm coming from, where I'm, 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 I'm coming from the Philippines. I'm coming from India. I'm coming from Korea. Like, we didn't have a good deal here, but America is the place where we can get a better deal. And so we want to move up in status. You want to go from poor to higher. But Christianity is the announcement of the God who's at the highest, 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 and his movement in status was to go to the lowest. <laughs> That's the movement, and that is how justice would come to the earth, okay? It is to go down. Now, verse 2. This is the description. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. And here's the part I heard from Tim Keller, which I've never forgotten. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. What does justice look like? There is a bruised reed. You guys know what this is? It's like, oh, there's a plant. There's, there's this reed that's growing. 
and it's bruised. There's something, it's wounded. There's something, it's not right. It's not strong. And I'm not much of a gardener, <laughs> but I know well enough that when you look at your plant and you see that reed, you know, you see this branch growing up and it looks like this. It's like wilted like this. You know what I'm thinking? I'm like, that, 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 that sucker's going to die. <laughs> you know, some of you, you, you know, you, some of you men, hopefully you do this for your girlfriend or for your wives, you, you bring flowers, right? And I always think about this. I'm like, these flowers cost X amount of money. You should last longer. <laughs> last longer. So my wife will be happier. And then, you know, her happiness will last longer, <laughs> okay? And then I watch the flowers, and one of them does this. You know? And you're like, oh, dang. That's a bruised reed. It's the bruised, wounded plant. But I don't think God is most interested in plants. Who's he talking about? He's talking about people. He's talking about the wounded people, the dying people, the poorest people, the weakest people, right? And a faintly burning wick, you know, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And so you guys, nowadays you have these, these candles you give to people. It's, it's very interesting to me that a candle is actually like a cool gift. But in our house, I'll tell you when we use it. After Grace cooks mackerel, the whole house just like stinks. All right? And then we pull out this cool, you know, this cool candle and we light it. And then like, you know, it starts pushing away the, the, the stinky part. Right? And then, but with the, if the candle gets low, 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 and then the wick inside gets faint, 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 you know that candle is about to go. <laughs> and you, again, do you think God is interested in candles? He's interested in people. And there are people. Your eyes must see people who are like, they are, they are faintly burning wicks, and they are bruised reeds. And so let me read the verse again. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That's justice. That's real justice. That's biblical justice. That's Christmas. <laughs> okay? Uh, just, I, I don't want to say this too much, but I just want to say, this period that we're living in right now, where there's a lot of people screaming about justice, and it's always about politics. I cannot tell you how much I hate it. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I hate it. Every time I hear, justice, 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 and it always means politics, 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 I always just go, fake, fake, fake. And it's not my opinion. Because all the people who care about this, you know what I notice? Most of them do not care about the Bruce Reed person. Or the faintly burning wick people in our midst. What they care about is power. If we get power, then top down, we will go top down. If you get all the right people in power, they'll have power and they can fix everything top down using power. Let me tell you something. This has been tried. <laughs> this has been tried in history. And it doesn't work. I'll give you a, 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 a particularly 
just spectacular version of it. Okay. In the 20th century, if all of the most righteous people, all the, the people who really care about the true like final justice of, of the whole world, if you put them in power and you give them all the money, I mean you give them all the money, you get all the money and they have all the authority, they will fix the nation. And nobody will be poor and nobody will be hurting and we'll have something, like I don't think they actually use the word justice, but then, the, then like history will finally close down. And you know what this, this movement was called? It's called communism. That's what it was. So today, it doesn't matter who, who you, I don't really care which political party thinks we're just going to get the smartest people in power and give them all the money and the authority, and then they're going to heal our land. It kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense because when you have an organization and you have an important purpose, let's just get the dumbest people up there right? Let's just get, let's empower the laziest people, the most, no, no, no. You, we want our best people. It makes sense. But what history has shown is human beings can't do this. We just can't do this. Our best, our brightest, are, are, are the people who are, quote, unquote, the most righteous. I'll even put it this way. Christians have tried this inside of our Christianity, inside of the Christianity. So I'll give you uh, yet another example of spectacular failure, right? So, you guys ever heard of a book called uh, The Heart of Darkness? Anybody know this book? Joseph Conrad wrote this book. Joseph Conrad is an English intellectual. And you know what the English believe? The English were at one point the most powerful empire in the whole world. And they were, as far as empires go in history, pretty good. Okay, at the very least, if you're going to grade the English, they get, they get at least a B plus, okay? Even though, yes, they oppress people, et cetera, et cetera, fine, all right? Because that's what empires do. But the Christians in England said, we are the most powerful empire in the world. We're sending people around the world. What we need to do is we're going to send our Christians, our very best missionaries around the whole world, and then we will spread what they called Christian civilization, and after 100 years of trying this thing, a guy named Joseph Conrad wrote a book called Heart of Darkness. And you know what it was? It was a total indictment of Christian arrogance of the Western civilization, ideal of England. That's what it was. Wow. <laughs> I read that book in college. And that was, that's, that was a heck of a, heck of a read. You guys probably don't want to read that book, so uh, watch the movie Apocalypse Now. <laughs> if you watch this movie Apocalypse Now, it's basically a movie version of that book. And in that version, the criticism is on America. We go to Vietnam, we're going to kill the communists and bring forth freedom into this oppressed land. And there's the guy who is the best and the brightest, who's going to be the leader of this. And what happens is something really, really dark happens to him. So, all right, let's stop talking about that. Let me say one more thing. Let's go to part two. This is verse six. 
of chapter 42. Verse 6. This is a word of God, and he's again speaking to the Messiah. This is a little bit, it's a little confusing. In the English, it's kind of confusing. So listen to this. I am Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D is I, Yahweh, the name of God. I have called you in righteousness, and that you is, in English, it seems ambiguous, because it's like, I've called you. If you go back, it looks like he's talking about the people, God's people. I've called you. I've called you the God's people in righteousness. That's not what the passage is. In Hebrew, that word you is very explicit. It's singular. I'm Yahweh. I've called you, singular being, singular person. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you, singular, as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. That is the same as a bruised reek he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 6 and 7 is about the Messiah. It's about Jesus. It's about Christmas. Okay? Let's go to part 2. I want to take you into this. I, I don't want to let you, that you go this. I, I, um, I have been looking at this passage called the Magnificat, Mary's Song. And I, maybe not every single year at Christmas, but maybe like every other year, I have read this and I've chewed on it. And uh, most Christians barely know it. <laughs> and when we think about Christmas, we always think about the manger scene and the three wise men, and, you know, Christmas by tradition, as, as, I, I, as I taught you. But we don't often think about Mary's song. And one of the reasons why Mary's song is not preached very much is because it's tough. <laughs> oh, it's tough, right? And if you're American and you're middle class or upper middle class or straight up upper class, you don't like Mary's song, <laughs> It's because Mary's song says things like this, verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. <laughs> That's what Mary said. She sings this song when she says, you know, the way it starts is, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Let me put it this way. He has looked on the dirt poor estate of me. He has looked at me, this nobody, totally nobody, dirt poor girl, and he chose me. He blessed me. He has done, he is, who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And then she goes forth, and she says this crazy tough thing. She basically says, to all the riches, I mean, just imagine, she's, sing, she's singing, singing this, I don't even know if it was actually a song. It's a poetic thing. And all of the upper class people of Israel, who are Jews at this time, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. All of the Romans 
who are the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. And in the midst of this, you know, that they are going to, they're going to run the world for another couple hundred years. So there's no end in sight to Roman rule. And Rome, by the way, if you, I, I love history. And, um, and anybody who ever studies history, and if you never study Rome, you, you don't really know and understand history. Because Rome is truly an absolutely spectacular empire. And, to, and that later on, when the Christians started, when, when Rome kind of fell, and then kind of Christians kind of like Christianized Rome, and then the whole, they took Rome, which influenced the whole world, and then they Christianized Rome, which is a great way, by the way, of letting everybody meet, get to know the gospel. And that for hundreds of years, Christians... It doesn't matter which ethnicity you were part of. I, 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 you know, like if you were Germanic, right? If you were more on the French side, you know what? You know, all these Christians, you know what they consider themselves part of? It's crazy. They called themselves the Holy Roman Empire. That's how great that empire was. So great that the people that were oppressed, the Christians, after they took it over, they wanted to take that name Rome and then fill it with Christ and spread the whole world. That would have been... If you could go back, one of these days we can get, if you can go up to, uh, to Mary and said, Mary, when you said this, did you know that the most oppressive <laughs> empire that made you nothing would be called by Christians the Holy Roman Empire? It's crazy. Okay. And yet, here's what she says, the rich will send away empty. Now I want to say something that about, t- about today. You're like, Pastor, you're supposed to be giving, like, happy messages <laughs> for Christmas. Why can't we have a happy message for Christmas? Why, why, why are you getting up there and preaching, like, this tough stuff? If you take the Bible seriously, you read what's in the Bible, and you go, like, this is the truth of the Bible. Then you have to do a second thing. You have to look at ourselves seriously. Everybody who looks at the world through the lens, you have to first see the Bible very clearly. With It's kind of like one eye, see the Bible clearly. The other eye, let's see ourselves clearly. Let's see ourselves clearly in light of the Bible. And then let's find out who we are. Not who we think we are, not who we wish we were, who we are. <laughs> in light of the Bible. <laughs> and when I read a passage like this, I... I, I Every other year, whenever I read Mary's song and I get to this thing, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Every year I read that, I think about us as America. I think about Americans. I don't mean white Americans. I mean Americans. <laughs> I mean black Americans, white Americans, Chinese Americans, Jewish Americans, every kind of American. Right? Because in America, this thing, he has sent the rich away empty and he has filled the hungry with good things. That's kind of a nice sentimental idea. But generally, the completely normal thing in America is I want to get rich. Successful good life in America is making more money, having a great career, having a really nice house. It's always at the center of everything of a happy life 
in our country. It always is. And so every year when we celebrate Christmas, it barely has anything to do with the poor. It's not about the faintly burning wick or the bruised reed. And Jesus, who's faithfully going to bring justice, it's generally like, you know, it's super consumeristic Christmas. And, you know, like Macy's, well, Macy's is not even like, Macy's was the number, like one of the top departments of stores, and they taught America how to celebrate Christmas, right? And that's very American Christmas. I'm not anti-Macy's, and I like all that stuff. I like the Macy's Christmas, etc. okay? <laughs> but it's not in the Bible, okay? And I want to say something to us as Americans, and especially if you're a member of Revive. We're Americans. We're an American church. We're two years into being this new church. 2020 is sucked. It was a terrible year, okay? <laughs> For churches, it's a terrible year. We were launched into a, just like a crappy year to launch a church. And just the fact that we not only survived, but we, we actually grew in love. That's, that's actually, I, I, I would never, I would say after 2020, I was so proud of our church. I said, this is going to be a good church. We're going to be a real, we're going to be God's church. And I got through 2021, and I watched people who don't even know that we exist show up in the summer. I, I, I actually would kind of like do, do a little mental count of people I met visiting our church. And we had a lot of visitors, especially in the summer. And I kind of did a mental count. I don't actually know what the numbers are. I, I, I wish we could have this data. But I, a very large percentage of them were not Christians. A large percentage. I don't know what that number. 40%? 50%? We're not just getting, like, going to the choir and, like, shifting around the Christians from somewhere over there, used to go to church over there, not coming. That's not what we're doing. We are... Shedding, I mean, we are spreading the light of the glory of God to the people who don't know it. So we're going to be a good church. But I want to, uh, and the reason I want to end the year on these messages about justice. America is deeply, deeply hungering for justice. And, and they want to hear the gospel not just as a, as a religious message. They want to hear a word that they go, when they hear that, they're like, whoa, that's Christianity? Are you kidding? They're going to go, I want, I want it to surprise them. I want it to even shock them. I want it to disturb them. Because justice looks like this. And here's one of the things I just really want to say here. If you believe in Jesus, but you're an American Christian, you need to hear this. And if you don't believe in Jesus and you're American, you need to hear this, okay? Everybody wants to be proud of who you are, and generally the way we're going to be proud of who we are is we're going to have success in the world. We're proud of ourselves if we wear good brand name clothes. We're proud of ourselves if we live in good neighborhoods, if we have good brand name degrees, we feel proud and good about our life because now we're having the good American life. But the Bible says, Mary says, 
that the Messiah is going to scatter the proud in the thoughts of their heart. And I want us to wrestle with the Central American pride, which is, I'm not poor, I made it, I'm successful. That's the Central American pride. And if you're not there yet, we all want that pride, because <laughs> I'm poor, I did not make it. Oh, I'm low in America, I feel bad about myself. Which is basically the way all poor people all around the world feel bad. That's how they feel. Poverty is not just lack of money. It's not just lack of good stuff. It's that inside, some of the worst thing about poverty is a lack of self-respect. Right? And so there's this profound hunger in America. The way we will solve this lack of the fact that I hate myself or don't respect myself or don't respect my neighbors or my family or my people, even my people, is, is let's make money. Let's get the better house. Let's have success. That's what America is all about. But the Messiah came to scatter those thoughts. In, there's these thoughts, these proud, these thoughts in our minds. And Christmas starts with the scattering of the thoughts in your head. The American pride thoughts, we have to, we have to, we got to get rid of them. <laughs> and if you agree with the Bible, you will want those thoughts to go and scatter away. <laughs> now, I want to just say a little something about this. If you don't believe in Jesus, this is good for you. <laughs> Why? Because I want to just share a little something about this. People make money People get the degree, they get the nice car, and then they move into a nice neighborhood. And then, you know, after what they do after that, they're like, let's get our kids to do the same thing. And so the general purpose of American life is, let me first get rich, then let me help my kids get rich, and then I'll go on vacation, retire, and die. sucks. It's stupid. That's the purpose of American life. That's a crappy life. Everybody thinks it's a great life. Let me tell you, from God's point of view, it's a crappy life. And then there's all these young people. When I look around our country, there's all these young people. You know, they can feel it. They don't go to church. They don't believe in God. They don't even know if there is a God. They certainly don't go, the Bible, the Bible, that's quaint. Christianity, isn't that like kind of the stupid religion that my grandparents believed in? There's so many young people, they don't actually say that out loud because that would be rude. <laughs> but that's the general feeling. But then they get to their teenage years, and then they get into their college years, and then they get into their 20s, and you know what they want? They want purpose. So I'll take you back a little bit. In 1989, I started college. I made a really good friend. He's from Georgia. And he is the kind of people, he was an earlier version of the young people that are that's just super common today, especially in our city. He was smart, brilliant, and he was an atheist. His mother believed in Jesus. She was good. Methodist woman. His father was an atheist. 
and his grandparents believed in Jesus, but he was an atheist. He wasn't a mean atheist, and he did not absolutely hate Christianity, but he mostly hated Christianity, right? And then he met me, and he's like, wow, you're weird. You're not from the Bible Belt, and you're not even white. And you believe in the Bible. This is really interesting. And we became friends. And we would talk about what we wanted to do in our life, and he wanted what he wanted to do in his life. And you know what he wanted? He wanted to graduate college. He wanted to get a really good degree. He wanted to get, make good money. And he wanted to do something good in the world. Okay? All of those things. He wanted to get a good degree. He wanted to make good money. And he wanted to do something good in the world. A number of years later, when I was hanging out with him again, and we were, um, you know, he, I mean, he, he came out of Stanford University. You can imagine. I think he, um, he, he went to Harvard Design School. And then later on, he went to Berkeley Law School. And he, want, he went to design school because he wanted to make beautiful things into the world. And then he found out, I'm not really good at architecture, so I want to do something good in the world, so I'm going to go to law school, because law school is a place where you can make money and do something good in the world. And I remember, as he was coming out of law school, you know what he was thinking about? He, this is the word he used, selling out. That's what he was thinking about, selling out. So now I got the degrees from three of the finest universities in the world. And he was thinking about this question. Am I just going to make money and be comfortable for me? Or am I going to do something good in the world? And if I didn't do anything good in the world, but I made money for me, he had a word for it, selling out. You know what that is? That's called sin. <laughs> it's a secular word for upper-class American BS sin. That's for, let me get my own thing and be comfortable for me. Poor people, who cares? Screw them. Okay? He, he, he had a word for it. It's called selling out. Now, let me just get a little raw right here. I grew up in Asian immigrant circles, okay? The Koreans who came to the United States in the late 70s and early 80s, they were poor. They didn't have a choice. Some were really well-educated and smart, but they are poor. Hated being poor, okay? So many, my parents and so many of my friends' parents, they worked 60, 70, 80 hours. They hated being poor. But the idea that you're going to grow up and then make money and then do justice in the world, that was not on the radar, okay? <laughs> that was not on the radar. It was barely on the radar. And so I grew up with a generation of Korean-American Christians. Let me just say, let's just put it really bluntly. Justice was not on the radar, not on the radar. It's not, it's, it's not in church. It's not in the radar. Even though it's in the Bible. Like, boom! It's in the Bible. It's in Christmas. Okay? 
And what I find is this. I want to just say this. We cannot be that kind of Christian. And there's no way. Okay? I don't care if it's the white version or the black version or the Chinese version or the Korean version. That kind of American Christianity sucks. <laughs> it must go. <laughs> you know why America has no respect for Jesus and Christianity? Because most of the Christians love American pride, but we do not love Jesus' justice. <laughs> That's the truth. So if we're going to be, we're going to really love Christmas, and we're going to really love Jesus, we must be as church, we must see the faintly burning wick. We must love the bruised reed. That's real justice. That's Jesus' justice. Okay? I know I already said this last week, <laughs> but you can hear it again. I'm saying it even stronger today. I believe that if we will do this, Jesus will say, that's my kind of justice. There's my kind of church. I will bless them. I will love them. I'll be pleased with them. I think if we will follow this, we can be sure Jesus will be with us and in this church. We can take on this city. We can take on American pride. Because Jesus, that's what he does. He scatters the thoughts of the prideful in their hearts. Okay? So, I'll just say this thing and let me close my message. Here's what happens to all the people who sell out. <laughs> okay, you guys are young. You don't know. You're working really, really hard to get a job and, and, and make it. Okay? Let me tell you something. Um, people get, they get their degrees, they get their jobs, they buy their homes, and then, they're, and then they get bored, and then they sell the home for a bigger home. <laughs> they get their Honda Accord, they get bored of the Honda Accord, then they go for BMW 3 class. <laughs> and then they get bored of BMW 3 class, and then they got to get BMW 5 class. And then they want their kid to do the same thing. And it's boring. It's so boring. Sellouts live a boring life, enslaved life. Because they never pay attention. And they never find out that it's really, really exciting to go meet the people who are the faintly burning wick and the bruised reeds and to give them the love of Jesus. Oh, if you do that, it's exciting. Now you are walking with Jesus. Not walking American BS, you're walking with Jesus. So all these sellout people, Christians, non-Christians, they're getting really, really bored. And so I watch this happen. I've watched this for years. I see a guy, he worked his butt off, and then in the middle of his 40s, he kind of like starts getting antsy and like, because he's bored. And then the ones that are really stupid, then like, like uh, they buy a sports car and then have an affair and ruin their life and their marriage. That's a stupid version. But some of them who know Jesus, you know what they do? They go back to church. Or for the first time, because they used to go to church and most of the time they're thinking about their stocks, they're thinking about their promotions, and now they actually pay attention. 
And then when the church says, let's go meet the faintly burning wick, they go, woo, this is a new challenge. This is exciting. They like the thing that's really hard. The thing that sounds impossible is exciting. That's what sellouts do. And so before you get to that place, especially I want to preach to all of you who are young, don't sell out. <laughs> Follow the Messiah, the faintly burning wick, and the bruised reed when he goes to them. Let me close with the story. The double glory of justice moving in the church. Okay, here's what I want to talk about. I told you I have all this uh, immigrant baggage. My parents believe in Jesus, but uh, my mom's going to listen to the sermon. Mom, sorry, I'm going to air the Park family dirty laundry. My parents really love Jesus, but they also love it if their kids are really successful. I don't know why, but my parents don't understand that success has to be defined according to the Bible. According to the Bible. Not according to culture. <laughs> so, I grew up with this strange tension. Worldly success, love Jesus. Worldly success, love Jesus. If you grow up with that tension, you know what you're going to do? You're going to think, that SATs are really, really important. And you'll feel guilty if you care about your SAT score more than what's going on in church. That's kind of what it was like for me. Now, and I know it because I watch you guys. I've watched you when you were 12 and 16 and now 25 and 35. It's the same thing, okay? And I grew up thinking great universities and great companies they're big, they're wonderful, they're glorious. And the church is small, it's not that important. Or it doesn't feel important. It's supposed to be really, really important. In my mind, it's the house of God. That's, that's, it's, it's the place where Jesus loves his people. That's church. The peop In fact, it's not even a place. It's the people themselves. So church is really, really important. It's cherished by God. But in my feelings... In my heart, I walk in the world, and American pride, and Korean immigrant, like shame, getting to honor according to American pride, that was inside of me. I bet you it's inside of you. Whether it's the white version or the black version, you name it, it's America. Okay? And here's what I want to close the message. A number of years ago, um, I don't remember what year it was, 2013? Do you remember Young? Young and I, Young was in Southern California, and we met at this conference in Southern California called Resurgence. That was fun, you know, because he's like my buddy, and we don't normally get to see each other, so we get to go listen to a bunch of great messages from some of, like, our finest preachers, and then we get to hang out and eat cool food. That's what it was like. So I went because I figured I'd learn something good. I get to hang out with my buddy, and I get to eat a bunch of cool food, and I did not know that Jesus was going to punch me in the head with Isaiah 42. The speaker was Rick Warren. And in the middle, it just wasn't even the point of his message. He just kind of started riffing and went off to something else. 
Right? So you guys wonder why I sometimes riff and just start talking and why well, I kind of talk long? Because I just never know when the Holy Spirit is going to punch you in the head. <laughs> That's why I just say a bunch of stuff. <laughs> a bunch of weird stuff. And some of you are like, why did you talk about that? I'm like, well, it's not for you then. <laughs> that part was boring. Who cares? It's boring to you. It wasn't boring to somebody else. So like Rick Warren just starts riffing and just starts going off. And I don't know if it worked on anybody else, but man, it worked on me. He started talking about the church. He started talking about the church. And, I, and this is how he described the church. There's no bigger company. There's no greater mission. The church is everywhere. It's in every nation. It's in every neighborhood. It's bigger than McDonald's. <laughs> it's bigger than Apple. It's bigger than any army. The church is everywhere. It's the biggest, most incredible organization there ever is. And it's all around the world. And then he says, the church, you can go to Africa, and there's a little mud hut. And there it is, the church. And it was really interesting. Because in my mind, here's how I thought. The church, it, there was this kind of this weird academic idea where the church was this big thing. And it's kind of like floating around history. But the church I know is the local church. And the local church is kind of small and right now feeling kind of like, we're, we're kind of not cool. And the kids don't think we're cool. And we like meet in these buildings. It's nicer than a mud hut. But when Rick Warren talked about the church, man, Rick Warren saw the biggest thing there is. And he looked at the smallest thing there is, and he said he saw that the small thing called the church in a mud hut was part of the most glorious thing there ever is on this planet. That's what he saw. That's what he saw. And I remember just being shaken to my core because in my heart I could feel like my whole upbringing <laughs> when all my immigrant like worldly grasping after worldly success, I could just feel that like burning off of me. The way I thought about church, I could just feel it like I basically took a whole lifetime in the way I look at church and I was like, the way I think about church, the way I feel about church is wrong. It's wrong. It's so wrong. Here's church. Jesus came all the faintly burning wicks and the bruised reeds. He came to forgive their sins, to wash them, and so they would come to life. He came to marry them, because that's what the church is, the, the, the one that would be married by the one who came for the faintly burning wick. And then he came to take these Seemingly small, nothing people, because that's what the faintly burning wick is. Small, nothing people. And they gather in these little buildings. Like, you go to Philadelphia, you go into like the most ghetto neighborhood, and there'll be a church, and they have this name for it, the Storefront Church. You know what the Storefront Church is? It's a neighborhood that's so bad that all the stores are abandoned, but then there is a, an abandoned store building, and there's a church in there. That's what a storefront church is. And you know what this? That's the faintly burning wick. That's who Jesus came for. And he came for them to redeem them and said, I'll make you into my church. 
Now go out into the world and find all the other faintly burning wicks and the bruised reeds, because that's what I came for, and make them glorious for real justice. That's Jesus. What is the double glory? Here's what I want you to see. This is what I closed last message of the year. The church is the most awesome, greatest organization all around the world. It's bigger, it's greater, it's more. Okay? You want to get a job, and you want to work for Apple or Google, or you name your company, or you're going to start your own company, I'm glad for you. Do that, do it well. Okay? But don't ever think that company's better than the church. There's no nation better than the church. There's no company better than the church. And whatever you do for your company tomorrow might be worthless. Sorry to say, sorry. Okay? But whatever you do for the church will never be worthless. You are working for the greatest company, the greatest mission, the greatest people. And whatever you give into the church is for the faintly burning wick. And they'll never die forever because of Jesus. Okay? You hear me? And here's the other, that's the big part. That's the big, big, big glory. Here's the other one. You walk into a small church. It don't look like much. Do you know there are people who come to this church and they'll go, okay, in America, we look like a small church. <laughs> when our missionaries come and visit us and they go like, whoa, this is like a lot bigger than the churches we have over there. You go into a small little place where there's seemingly nobody people they're the church. And they're glorious. There's a woman named Mary. And she was barely older than a girl. And she said, He has looked upon the humblest state of his servant. He has looked upon me, a faintly burning wick. And behold, from now on, all the generations will call me blessed. When Jesus sees you, no matter how little you are, no matter how nobody you are, you think our church is, he sees you. Even if you're hurting and you're broken, you're like nobody. He came to redeem us. He came to wash us and call us into his justice. And from generations upon generations, people will bless you and love you. Can you believe that? That's why I wake up every day do what I do. There are days it's hard to be a pastor. 2020, it's like, gosh, I understand why a lot of guys are quitting, right? 2021, I'm like, I, I, I got to do this. And I'm not talking about being a pastor because you could be the noblest, the so-called nobody person inside the church. But you're Mary. And you could do great things. And even though you will not be famous in the earth, when we are all gathered, all together, generations will love you. If we belong to Jesus and follow after his mission of justice. Merry Christmas in 2021. Let me finally stop talking. Let's pray. All right?
Thank you for this church, Revive Church. Thank you that Revive Church is part of your church. Thank you that Revive Church, whether we are small or big, we are glorious because you make us glorious. Our mission is glorious. The grace that we have from you is glorious. And when people come into our midst, some who are listening to this message today, who are a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick, they do not die. In fact, they get new life and they thrive. We have already seen some of that in our church, and there'll be more. As 2021 ends, Lord, thank you for this church, this silly pastor, this ridiculous man who talks too much, and these people, your people, who will tolerate this dumb pastor like me and when this jackass talks, would they hear your word? Would they be captured by your glory? I pray that in 2022, when we go, we're going to the next chapter. This chapter is going to turn. And we're going to get to be revived. We're going to get to be your church. And we will truly be a church that does justice, that proclaims liberty to the captives, and sight to the blind because Jesus is our King. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our justice. That's what we will believe. And just as you did not ever give up and you still do not give up in the midst of a wicked and prideful world that regularly tramples justice and brings forth injustice, Lord, no politics, no parties, but your church. We pray that your church would be the church. And we pray that everywhere we go, Lord, 2021 revive would be your church filled with true justice. And whenever we meet our brothers and sisters who are truly of Isaiah chapter 42 and of Mary's song, we would know they, although those are our brothers, those are our sisters. And Jesus is with them. Let's go. Let's go. And never get faint or never get tired or give up. Because you are the one that takes the faintly burning wick and never lets it die out. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the great cost and you came down to make the utterly poor and the sellouts to repent and live for you and all your glorious justice. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.